uh, it was great as I came in this morning that uh, the Colburn family, who you may know them, gifted uh, worship leaders, their children all gifted worship leaders. They, uh, Joni was up and she had their little foster child in their hands. Uh, Jim, is that even allowed? I don't know. There was like a, was that, is that breaking the worship team rules or anything? No, but she was, she was in Joni's hands as she's leading worship there. And I had a moment where I just thought about the fact that on, on this day, when we talk about foster children and that they go from being a, not in a family or not a family that knows them personally, intimately, to be brought into a new life, just can't help but think that that's what we celebrate is the love of Christ, right? We celebrate our adoption. We celebrate God's knowledge of us. And we celebrate the fact that he knows you perfectly. I want to remind you of this this morning, a, a holiday that's set aside to celebrate love, that, that the God of the universe knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. For some of you this week, I feel like I say it so often, but you're mourning. We've had church family members who've lost precious loved ones again this week in their mourning. And I just want to remind you that the God of the universe is mourning beside you through that process. I also want to recognize that he knows you. He knows your name. He knows your future. He knows your past, your present, and your future. And so today, I want to welcome you into the recognition that you were loved this morning and that you're precious. And, and I love that, that visual image of uh, we, we, you know, that Col the Colburn family are all gifted musically. Now we know how they pass those gifts on to their children, right? Join us. And and that's a part of my prayer for this missions conference is that we look at our children and we say, we, wanna, we want you to join us in this. We want to see what God's going to do sacrificially. And that's going to be a neat part of Don and Hazel's story that they're going to share with us as their own children. Uh, they are children of pastors and missionaries and, and their own children now have taken up that, that call to the field. And it's just incredible. And so we pray that as a church family. Um, this, this week, I wanted to mention something. A year ago or so, we recognized that the COVID pandemic was, had already begun, and we didn't even know it was in our country at this point, if you think about that. And somebody came up to me recently, and they said, so, so Pastor Sean, what would you do at Hope Church if you found out that somebody had COVID? And uh, we have. It's happened uh, you know, a few times. And basically, my response back was this, and I just want to remind you of this as a church family. First, First thing that I think the Lord taught us to do is that we're people who we don't live and worry, but we just pray. We trust the Lord. We, we come before him. Now that trust isn't in, in disregarding medical uh, you know, things that are available. to We thank the Lord for what he's provided for us medically through doctors and physicians. And we, but, but first, we depend on the good physician, right? Isn't that great? So we, we entrust ourselves into the care of the good physician. Uh, as a church family, though, we've also chosen to take precautions, and uh, some have been critical of those. They've, they've questioned, like, why would you do that? Well, uh, part of the reality in a church like ours is we just kind of assume. So the question was, what would you do if somebody, well, we just kind of assume everybody does. So we know that there's asymptomatic realities for people. We know no one wants to pass on something to anyone else, whether it's COVID or anything else. And so um, what I'm grateful for, and we've seen it even play out this last week, is that I'm grateful for the precautions that we take, that we're intentional about that. And we just try to be sensitive to that. And then beyond that, um, one of the things that we 
end up finding ourselves doing in the process after we pray and we, 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 we just press on. That's kind of what we do. And so uh, for each one of you um, this morning, we continue to pray for our church family who is, a, ha, is and has been at times touched by the COVID reality. Uh, and for many of us uh, in our church family, we know people who we love that have been taken home to be with the Lord. And we thank the Lord for his goodness and his provision for us. So uh, I want to celebrate God's goodness in that, but just to remind us that we take this all, you know, seriously. But one of the things that I have the privilege of doing this week is I get to introduce you to another set of individuals who've chosen to join in the, with the Lord in his mission to advance the gospel around the world. I'd like to invite up Don and Hazel Schaefer, and as they come up, I want you to think about 35 years, um, what, what has happened in your life in 35 years. And one of the things that we just celebrate together is that Don and Hazel have served faithfully in the country of Japan for 35 years as representatives of the love of Jesus Christ. They've been church planters. They've focused in on the needs of that community. They, their heart shook with the earthquake that happened in the last 24 hours. Their family's there. Their, their spiritual family is there. And so we, we celebrate 35 years as they anticipate the return back to their last term as they um, continue to serve as great commission missionaries with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I'd like to just briefly pray and thank the Lord for them. And then I get the privilege of introducing you to them. Lord, we love you. And we ask humbly that you would soften our hearts, that you would remind us that you're at work in our lives. And we pray that you would allow us in everything that we do today to remind us that this mission as we're honored to be in the presence of missionaries, is not just their work, but it's ours. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to Hope Church. We're so glad that you joined us today. And it's kind of comfy up here. I think we should do this every week. It'd be nice. I just need a cup of coffee. That would be very nice. So, so um, would you guys share with us a little bit more about your work in Japan, what God's been doing there, and how you've been serving there in Japan? Uh, well, for the first uh, 25 or so years of our, our ministry in Japan, we were in church planting. And uh, that would mean going into a place where there were no people. We started with zero. We didn't get a couple hundred people to start a church. We would just go in and, and blanket the area with advertising. Um, we would uh, do Bible studies. We would teach English classes, cooking classes. I do have the the honor of saying that in my English classes, nobody really got better, but we had a good time. Um, but uh, kids outreaches, we did that for 10 years. And then God put us, has put us in the leadership position for the last nine or so years. We've had the privilege of starting a new network of Alliance churches in the Tokyo area. It's been great to see what God is doing. Uh, mentoring pastors. Uh, we had uh, five new units come the last six years and helping them get adjusted, oriented to, to Japan. It's been a privilege to, to see what God has been doing. Part of that is just helping uh, the new missionaries uh, go out and buy what they need to set up home. Um, we have monthly prayer times with our mission team. Um, we meet regularly at least once a month with the new missionaries. We want to be sure that th that first term is so important. We want to be sure that they thrive, um, not just survive. 
and uh, we meet with pastors and their wives. We listen to their vision. Don is part of meeting with pastors' meetings um, monthly as well. So we're excited to go from church planning to leadership um, and uh, just to see what God is doing. We're so excited to be a part of all that. So, so when Hazel shares about not having a couple hundred people, she uh, knows the story of Hope Church, and we're so grateful for uh, Don and his family that his father, you recognize that last name, that his father was well, really one of the grandfathers of Hope Church. He um, was the pastor at Hope at, um, Grace Church in Middleburg Heights, and uh, and then um, that was kind of the church that planted us. Several of you came from that church, and we're so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for both of your investment in Array of Hope Ministry this week and Wednesday night prayer meeting. And uh, you've you've challenged me and encouraged me to think about the steadfast ministry. When we see the pictures that are flashing on the screen, you're seeing churches, uh, many of which that um, that have either been started by. Um, the Schaefer family, or that were a part, they were contributing and investing in. And uh, we really believe in church planting. We thank the Lord that some who went before us decided that Hope Church was worth being planted. So we're grateful for that. Uh, a personal question. Is that okay? Sure. You, you, you're like, well, it's the way to hear the question. So, so personal question. How did you guys uh, decide to go into serving in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Um, I know you both have a great heritage there. Um, I, my, my parents went to Grace Church just before I turned five, 59 years ago. My dad went to pastor, and I grew up uh, having missionaries come to our church, and especially a very small missionary, Mabel Francis, mm. who came when I was 10 years old. And that's where I got my initial interest in, in Japan. And I found out later that my parents were praying that God would send one of their children to Japan. So just that uh, privilege of growing up in a family that was, um, my parents didn't put us on a pedestal. They put us on the altar. They said, Jesus, use our children, send them wherever you want to. And uh, it was a privilege to grow up in a home like that. I didn't grow up in the Alliance. I married into the Alliance. Um, I grew up in the Philippines where my parents were missionaries, but uh, we met in Bible college uh, in South Carolina. And uh, for me, it was like, I, God would have to call me to stay in America. Um, I was headed back. And I actually headed back to the Philippines to work with my brother in translation work, um, but uh, got redirected. And uh, I'm thankful to be serving uh, alongside Don in Japan. But yeah, my roots go back to the Philippines and and growing up there and seeing my parents and their commitment uh, to serving. I appreciate the, um, the heritage that's there and not putting your kids on a pedestal, but putting them on an altar. It sounds pretty biblical, doesn't it? But very hard. We know that there's church family members that are praying that for their children as well, and uh, we're grateful for that. Uh, question about the, I know the earthquake kind of, remind you of the ministry at home and you guys have been gone for how long how long have you been in the states this term or this this time away has it been yeah we came back the middle of july and okay. then we plan to head back the middle of july as well okay so it'll be a year so as you head back for your last term uh what are you looking forward to what are you praying that you mentioned leadership and maybe for some of us we don't uh, we, we hear you say leadership, and we think you've been leading for a long time. So you mean that you're leading other missionaries now. Is that correct? So help us to know what you're looking forward to in this last term. 
our vision for this last term is to start an online ministry training program. We have a, an Alliance Seminary in Hiroshima. There's just one student there. We need something that's more accessible to more people. Uh, there's actually a, a newsletter out on the uh, uh, table there that talks about that vision. But we're going back in uh, something like the ministry studies program that the Alliance has, has here in the U.S., but doing that in Japan, so ministry training is accessible to a lot of people. That's been the biggest roadblock that we have faced in our church planning is the lack of workers. A lot of pastors in Japan now are in their 60s, even 70s. There's nobody to pass the baton to. So as we go back this next term, we want to get that ministry training program up and running so that people anywhere can access that and get training that they need to serve the Lord. Uh, we're the oldest on the mission field, and yet our burden is for the young people. And so one thing as we go back that we want to um, put before the Lord is to start youth camps. Uh, we have Latinos and Filipino kids, as well as the Japanese and Korean, um, bringing all these young people together and uh, starting a youth camp to encourage um, the next generation, raising up the next generation within our churches, we want to raise up leadership as well for the next generation. So we're trying to work ourselves out of a job in Japan, and we're excited uh, that God is still giving us visions, even though this is our last term, and to be putting people on church planning teams. That's the most effective way to to build Christians, uh, to reach people, is through church planting. And um, so we want to the younger generation want to be on teams together, and we want to put Japanese with some of our young missionaries as well. So we're excited as we talk to the pastors that they have a heart for church planning. So pray that we'll have just, a, um, just wisdom as we put different people together. We actually have two new families coming this summer, two singles. So we have four new units coming, so we're going to be helping them get adjusted and settled as well. It's exciting. Yeah, it really is. It was um, great to hear this week you talk about ministry of reconciliation and that the Lord has placed you in a place to care for. Hazel, you were talking about pastor's wives and youth ministry. And one of the things I really appreciate about getting to spend a few minutes with you this week is just the the energy that the Lord's given you. And the the, the work's not finished, right? There's There's more work to be done. And um, one of the things, having been in the Alliance for 35 years, the way that you've served, uh, you have been a part of um, some of what our community has been a part of, giving to the Great Commission Fund and seeing ministry advance that way. And uh, we're learning, like everyone else is, that that's changing a bit with the Alliance, the the way that uh, ministry is funded. And uh, we we pray for the Lord's continued provision for you uh, and uh, we have in the the back of the church here, there's um, some faith promise cards. I spoke with Brandon about this briefly, and he just mentioned that um, ongoing supporters is really a blessing on the field. And I thought this was interesting. And I just want to remind you of this church family that like, there are really sincere life and death situations that happen with our workers uh, on the field. Like there are times when um, they really are at risk. Um, and, um, and, and I, th I learned something listening to, to Brandon last week that there's something really meaningful to know that there's a group of people praying for you. And we've had those stories happen where 
we'll find out that somebody in our church family woke up at two in the morning and they just prayed fervently for some. I can think of one that happened in the last year where a family member of a missionary was, was injured and it was a terrible thing that was happening. Literally, the Holy Spirit had just nudged someone to say, like, you just need to pray for them. And you just, you find yourself understanding that geography doesn't matter too much to our Lord, does it? But, um, but we, uh, Brandon shared this yesterday, and I'd love for you uh, to just help us to understand this, that it's not just a, the goal is a one-time gift. We know the Lord has the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows our needs, but, but the idea of ongoing support, you guys do a great job with your newsletters, and there, there's copies of their newsletter in the back. Um, but help us to just understand partnership and, and what that means for you when you're on the field, especially as you, you've experienced that. Sometimes the, the isolation of being on the field, but also uh, that blessing. That wasn't on our list of questions to ask, so I, I'm sorry. Curveball. So, all right. We do want to thank you for your giving to the Great Commission Fund. That's how we're supported as Alliance missionaries, and that's what keeps us going. So we thank you for your giving and want to encourage you to, to keep on giving. Uh, I, I think I, I said on uh, Wednesday night, the most important part of missions is prayer. Mm. And that's how you can really partner with, uh, with us in our work as well. It's something that all of us can be, be doing wherever we are. Uh, Pastor Jim read that passage from Matthew 9. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And boy, that's what we need more than anything in Japan is for God to raise up new workers, new Japanese pastors and church leaders so pray with us that uh, we'll see God sending out many workers into the harvest field. Amen. Hazel, anything you'd like to add about knowing people are praying for you back here as well? Yeah, it, I mean, you don't know how much that means to us, uh, to know that people are covering us in prayer. Um, we send out monthly prayer updates, and uh, one page with pictures, uh, a, a column there for prayer requests. Um, there's a couple of... Uh, uh, copies on the table in the by the cafe there. We have a sign-up sheet, a sign-up card. If you would like to join our prayer team, we would love to put you and send you personally to your email accounts uh, a copy of our prayer updates. Um, it's, yeah, it means a lot. We can't tell you that these 36 years that we've been there, not 35, we'll add a year there, yeah. that we're there because God has placed um, us on people's hearts to pray. And uh, so we want to thank you for that. I, uh, I appreciate that. Hope Church is a praying church. We, um, we really do take seriously that, that that's the primary work of God's people and that, that's what God's asked us to do. And we want to be praying for you as you anticipate returning to the field. And uh, they were sharing with, with me earlier today with all the the reality of COVID, there's this tour that they're on and it's getting disrupted and changed and it sounds familiar, doesn't it, to all of us, just the reality. So as you wrap up the tour before you plan to return, we're praying for the Lord to use you in a special way like you've done here. And uh, what are some ways that we can be lifting you up and praying for you as you anticipate returning back? Uh, well, first of all, if I can just bring your attention to pray for Japan as they just went through a 7.1, 7.3 earthquake less than 24 hours ago. This is coming just 10 years before the anniversary, 
just before the anniversary, 10th anniversary of the big one that happened in uh, 2011. And so people are probably a little bit on nerve. Uh, it happened after 11 o'clock at night, so I could tell that a lot of my friends were still up and not able to sleep that night. Uh, so pray for, for them to have God's peace. Um, we, we've been t tracking um, earthquakes down in New Zealand and all the way up, and that's what happened the last time. So it's working up for a big one. We weren't there for the last one in a way that we wish that we could have been there to be with our colleagues, to be with the Japanese people. And part of me is not wanting something to happen until we can get back um, because we want to be there with our colleagues. We want to be there to help the people um, because we know a big one's coming. If Brunswick were a typical Japanese place, there would be two Protestant churches in Brunswick. Hopefully one would be evangelical. Maybe 30 to 35 people coming to each church on Sunday morning. That's what Japan is like. It's a spiritually dark place. Less than 90, over 99%, less than half of 1% are, are followers of Jesus Christ. So as you think of Japan, yeah, they have nice cars, computers, cameras, all kinds of things but they need Jesus. They're a spiritually dark country. So more than anything, pray that God will open their eyes, that there will be a, just a, a great harvest, many people coming to Christ uh, these coming years. And just pray for this Alliance Bible Institute that we're hoping to start. Yeah. God is giving us this year to do a lot, laying the foundation. And uh, we're excited as we go back to um, put it into fourth gear. And we're <laughs> praying for a launch in April 2022. So next spring. Uh, so that's a big prayer request in our hearts. Well, let's, let's pray that right now, if that's okay. Lord, we love you, and we just thank you for Don and Hazel. We thank you for their faithfulness, 36 years. And Lord, we pray for this institute, Lord, that it would be a place where church leaders are planted. I know that that's one of the requests that they've asked in different settings. Would you raise up more leaders? Would you allow there to be a thriving church in Japan. I just can't help but think of the temptations in a, in a society like ours where we don't necessarily wrestle for our daily bread. We've been so blessed uh, financially. Your provision for us has been so great, and yet we know that we have incredible needs, and we, we just pray for these churches. I pray that no one there would grow weary in doing good. Um, Lord, I, I thank you for the the fervor that you've placed in Donna and Hazel uh, to serve you and to pass the baton on in leadership, to spur others on to love and good deeds. And I just ask that as they anticipate this return, that um, I appreciate Hazel's sentiment there of recognizing that they want to shepherd and care for their church family in Japan. And so, Lord, would you spare them and protect them? Would you allow them to have open doors? Would you continue to provide for their needs? And, and we, we extend this prayer to uh, Brandon and Stephanie as well, that we just thank you for um, the kind of bookends. They're at the beginning of their CMA ministry and in many ways uh, blazing a trail where there's so few believers there. And even the idea of having a church um, seems so far off for them. And uh, and yet, Lord, we, we don't want to be people who take for granted the incredible access we have to you and opportunity to share and live out the mission that you've called for us. So this morning, uh, we thank you for the Schaefers. We ask that your hand of blessing would be upon them, be with Japan, our brothers and sisters there, 
who are in the minority, um, but yet want to lift and praise your name high, that are worshiping you even today. And we love you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's thank Don and Hazel for uh, joining us. I'd like to ask you to, to pull out your Bibles, and we want to spend a few minutes. One of the goals that we have at the Missions Conference in general is that we want to be people who recognize that when we talk to and about mission and missionaries and the reality of that, that one of the temptations I think has, that has the potential of happening is that we look at the mission and we say, wow, isn't it great that God brought people like them into the world? Don't you do that? Let's be honest. Like, aren't you, aren't you thinking, boy, isn't it great? One, one missionary friend of mine, when he got on a boat back many years ago, he didn't know when he was ever going to see his family again. And, and, and you think about those realities. And, and for some of us, I know we joke about places in the world that we're like, I hope God doesn't send me there. In fact, when I was a pastor at the previous church where I had the privilege of serving, I served in the area of missions. And, and, and the, I want you to think about this for a second. On the weeks where missions conferences happened, people intentionally chose not to come to church. Think about that for a second. Like we'd see this dip in attendance and it broke my heart. But I think that honestly, what happens there is that if we're really, really honest about it, we, we kind of want it to be somebody else's mission right? Like, like let, let's, let's be thankful that there's people that are out there that are doing it. But, but this reality and privilege, if we get this right this morning, if you hear this message today, it's, it's, uh, it's me saying, I don't want it to just be their mission. I don't want to just thank the Lord for their goodness, but, but we want to understand what it means for us to be an active part of seeing this mission be completed. And so, so this morning, when we talk about this idea of our unfinished work, I, I want to remind us that this isn't their unfinished work, right? That this is our unfinished work. There's this story that came out during the time of Napoleon. A, a great French historian told the story of, of the fact that the army in France, in the deep, deepest cold of winter, found themselves surrounded by the enemy. And what the enemy did, very smart move, was that they, they burned all the bridges. They destroyed all the bridges and they were isolated and they were in a place where they had to escape and it was so cold. And so Napoleon, in his wisdom, says, all right, we're just gonna build a new bridge. And the story goes that, that the first individuals to get there, they start building the bridge and some are washed down the stream in the cold water and others of them show back up and they're, they're building the bridge and some of them actually just shrink back because it's too hard. But then finally the, the army gets there and there's, there's soldiers that are still down there building this bridge as people are crossing it. And then afterwards, the generals say to those who are down there, come on, it's time to go, let's go, we're, we're good. And, and they don't move because the way history tells it that they froze there, they're dead. Like they, they had sacrificed in order for others to make that journey. And I can't help but think for us when we interact with missionaries and we talk about this image of bridge building is a great missions concept, right? That, that we, we have work to do to help give access to the gospel for the Lord to have his name be known. And and I and I'm celebrate the fact that, that we get to be a part, for some of us, we get to be a part of bridge building, 
That for some of you, the, the missionary never know, or the, those who are served never know your name, but what you've chosen to do to invest in the kingdom is something that, that meant that others could do it. And, and I just don't, I don't want to diminish that. I, I want you to see the slides of churches that for some of you, you chose not to do something that made you comfortable here and you chose to invest your resources so that others could be a part of that. So you're literally the people who helped to advance the kingdom. Praise the Lord for that. Do you guys get that? Do you also understand that when we understand the mission that, that we're willing to even put ourselves at risk, right? We're willing to put our comfort at risk. We're willing to understand what it means for us to be a part of what God is doing. And it truly is an unfinished work. Is it their job? Yes. Is it our job? The answer is yes. And this morning in the few minutes that I want to share with you, I don't worry, I won't preach long today. Um, you guys are like, yes. <laughs> in, the, in the few minutes that I share with you, I just want to remind you uh, from an incredible passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. And I want you to see in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, this, this truth that there is more work to be done. And as we look at this passage of Scripture in Matthew, chapter 24, what we're going to see is this reminder that, that even the Lord Jesus talked about the mission that was ahead for us. And, and for some of us, when we watch what's going on around us and we find ourselves saying, Lord Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come redeem what's broken. Help us to, to see your world restored. That, that in the midst of that kind of waiting that God has asked for us to do, that this is not passive. This is not a time where we just stand back and hunker down and hide, but instead that there's more work to be done. And you and I have the privilege to join in what God's doing. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse one. I want you to hear this truth. Jesus left the temple and he was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. I want you to catch this. This is cool in the background. This is an artistic rendition of what the temple would have been like. I, I want you to remember, those of you who've been to Israel like I have, that you've seen these massive stones that, that were, they, they say that there's one stone that's a part of the Temple Mount area that's literally one of the largest stones that's ever been excavated in the world. It weighs some over 300 tons. There's these massive stones, bigger than, than any person. They're just massive. And, and what the disciples were doing, it's important for us to catch this, is that they're just in awe of the place. They're like, man, this place is awesome. They're, they're standing back and they're looking at the temple and they're, they're in awe of it. And then Jesus throws them a curveball like Jesus does sometimes. And he says back to them, while they're in awe of the architecture and the, the building and the, the, the glory of the temple, he answers them and he says to them, you see all these, don't you? Truly, I say to you, there will not be one left here, one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I can't help but, but picture the disciples like looking around when he says this, like that crazy uncle that says weird things. And you're like, hey, Jesus, you can't say that. And in fact, the next step that we see is that, is that Jesus is going to be talking to them on the Mount of Olives. It's a close place, but not 
right there. And they draw him away. They have this private follow-up conversation with him. What, what do you mean? And, 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 I, and I think that one of the things that is important for us as we think of the two quick points that I want to share with you this morning, that, that several of you have shared with me that you feel like the world that we live in, Jesus is going to unpack this a little bit, feels pretty broken right now. Uh, th there's a reason why it feels broken, because it is. <laughs> that, that, that there's this, this mythology that some have taught, and that is the idea that we can take what is heaven and we can create an environment on earth that, that really not just echoes it, but it actually is here. We get to experience heaven on earth. That, I, I just want to remind you, that's not God's word. That's not what scripture teaches to us. In fact, we're going to see Jesus challenge that for, for some of us, especially those of us who I say it all the time, but that we haven't wrestled with our daily bread ever. Like I, I have been so blessed in my life that the Lord has provided for me so abundantly. And yet I, I look at this reminder that the world that we live in is going to continue to go through struggles. The description that Jesus is going to use, this is fascinating. Those of you who are mothers, that he's going to talk about it like it's birth pains. He's going to say that there's, there, there's going to be a mess. It's going to continue to show signs of being broken. And for some of us, I don't know why, but it shocks us. Like that we're, we're shocked by it. Why is this so bad? I think it might be because we've, we've believed a lie that this, this world that we live in is going to somehow model what we anticipate in heaven. And confusing those two things is devastating for your theology. Just tell you, it's devastating. Jesus pulled away with the disciples in verse 3 on the Mount of Olives, beautiful place overlooking the temple, probably a view like this that's in the background. He sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Jesus, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see to it. Now his, his statement back is fascinating. Don't be deceived. See to it that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name. Let's catch this church. That he's saying there will be people who call themselves Christians who will say to you, this is the day and the hour. This is how it's going to work. And, and hey, by the way, if you've been paying attention, there have been a lot of people who've done that historically. Hey, the Lord's going to return six months ago, six years ago. It's always ahead and often it leads people to misunderstand what Jesus said. I mean, it's taught to us really clearly. It's going to be like a thief in the night. No one knows the days or the hour. People who claim that are confused. I'll just tell you that. But, but Jesus did give us these signs that we can anticipate. He says, I am the Christ. And that there will be people who claim to be the Messiah. They claim to be hope. They claim to be the thing that people should put their trust in. And they are false Christ. They're, they're lesser than what the Lord is. They will lead many astray. I already mentioned this, but confusing heaven with earth is an incre incredibly dangerous thing. And Jesus warned against this. In verse 6, he says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is so good what Jesus says next. See to it that you are not alarmed. This is an incredible word in Greek. This, this not be alarmed is a, is a word that just says, don't be shocked by it. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Don't be 
paralyzed by fear. We warned you this was going to take place. Don't be shocked by it. The only reason why I believe we're shocked by it is because we didn't listen to him when he taught it in the first place. He said, it's going to happen. Don't literally be scared out of your wits. That's what he says. So then don't be alarmed for this must take place. But the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And there will, and, and all of these are but the beginning of the birth pains. I've told the story before, forgive me for those of you who've heard it, but one of my, my best friends, he ignored birth pains and they had a baby in a minivan. That's insane, right? Like, are you kidding me? I always say this, I wonder if you have to declare that on your Carfax, you know? Like, you know, that, uh, where was your daughter born? In the Sierra, right? It's crazy. You know, the, the birth pains, we don't ignore them, but actually, I want you to catch this. This is maybe radical for some of us. Like we actually find them, like the birth pain, as a source of celebration, even though they're painful, right? Do you see this? It's a painful thing. There's bad stuff that's happening. But when we have the right mindset of what God's doing, then we go, this is all a part of the plan. It doesn't shock us what's going on. But instead we go, yes, praise the Lord. The Lord is doing his work to bring himself glory and honor in a world that's broken and it's temporary, right? Like it's not the way it is, is it not the way that it's always going to be? So frightening things can be, they, they're coming, they're gonna happen. And, and, and I, I think that some of the sadness that I read here when it talks about people's hearts growing cold and, and the way people treat one another and it's just despicable and you read it and you say, no one would ever want to be a part of that but we shouldn't be shocked by it. Verse nine goes on to say, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. If you're curious about suffering as a Christ follower, read, read first, second Peter. The, God's word's really clear as Christ followers, whether this is the glorious tribulation that we anticipate in eschatology or whether this is the reality of our own suffering that we're going to go through for the name of Christ, I just remind you, we shouldn't be shocked by it. And it says this in verse 10, that many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. You understand those are acts of cowardice because suffering, when it comes, some people run away. And I praise the Lord for those who've served so faithfully that when suffering came, when the cost came high, when, when, when they looked in the valley of the shadow of death, they chose not to fear evil, but they trusted in the Lord. It says this in verse 11, and many false prophets, again, warns us, will arise, remember, in the name of Jesus and they will be successful in leading many astray. There's a warning here to be careful about who you listen to. Uh, let me just remind you, church, that, that this is every word you ever hear me say. This is every word you ever hear. Jim say, missionaries. Like if you do not run it through the grid of scripture, then you are at risk of being deceived. Do you understand that? And so what we look at this and we say many are going to be false prophets. Many are going to be successful. They're going to lead people astray. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Even if this isn't that time period, I, I don't know if it is, but I'll just tell you, I've seen it. I've watched it, right? In fact, the, the text goes on to say, but the one who endures 
to the end will be saved. This is a challenge to us. Hey, it's coming. It's going to be tough. You know, it's interesting to me is that history has had time periods. You think of the, the Third Reich or Antiochus Epiphanes, other, these, these tragedies that have happened in history. And over time, there have been many times when we've stood back and we've said, is this it? Is this it? Is this the time? Is it? And the Lord has chosen to tarry. And I think the reason why partially the Lord has chosen to tarry is where this verse goes on to say, but, but I, I want to remind us, we're going to use some other passages here to just remind us the context of this particular passage of scripture. Before this, we, in Matthew 24, we get to see or later in, in Matthew 25, the, the parable of what's called the 10 virgins. And it's this, this ceremony that you and I are unfamiliar with in our own life experience, but the anticipation of the return of the king, it means that everybody gets excited about it. They look forward to it. And and when we see the parable of the ten virgins, we see scripture and stressing, and the Lord Jesus stressing the importance of being ready. Hey, Lord, when you come, we don't want to be shocked. We don't want to act like we've been caught, that we've ignored this. We've been ready for you to come. Uh, later in, in Matthew, there's this trumpet. That sounds, you guys have sung that song, right? And the trump shall resound and the Lord shall return. In my church growing up as a kid, they had this wonderful balcony and the pastor, after he'd preached this message about the Lord returning and the trump resounding, uh, he had a little guy go up in the, uh, in the balcony and play a trumpet as loud as he could. I'm telling you, only three people had heart attacks that day. <laughs> Can you imagine that? You're, you're like looking around and you're like, why am I still here? Why am I still here? What have I done? You know, it, it just their hearts were racing, right? And I don't know what his point was. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Uh, but, but the expectation, we use this term theologically, imminent return of Christ, right? He's coming. It's going to be like a thief in the night. We don't know exactly when he's going to return. We don't completely know his heart or his mind on all of this. But we get to do something that seems a little bit counterintuitive to us. And that is we get to do active waiting. We get to anticipate. R.T. France puts it this way. It is not to be passive waiting, but getting on with the job and making the most of the opportunities that are entrusted to us. In the church in Thessalonica, there were people who just stopped working altogether in anticipation of the Lord returning. And Job said, or Paul says, get back to work. <laughs> We've got work to do. And that's not just putting food on the table, but it's this anticipation of the Lord. Paul Marshall puts it this way. He says, our job is to work, to perform, to develop, to progress, to change, to choose to be active and to overcome until the day of our death or the return of our Lord. Isn't that a great phrase? Like we're just active. We stand back and we move. And this next parable that happens in chapter 25 is the parable of the talents. And the, you know the story if you're familiar with it. It says, stop burying your gifts. Don't, don't sit on them. Use them for the glory of the Lord. And I, and I just say all of this to say, hey, Let's remember, we've got work still to do. We don't just get to passively wait, but instead we get busy. And it leads me to the second point this morning, and that is your and my work, our work, like this bridge, the largest bridge in the world, is unfinished. That there still needs to be bridge building completed and done. And these words are so profound in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. I wanna just let you meditate on them because they're so significant. 
He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What a great passage. This passage is not supposed to say, hey, this is their job. But this passage is to say, we still have work to be done, right? Like, why hasn't he come back? Well, part of this is because he's still at work. And we heard last week that there's places around the world, three billion people, we're told, have yet to have uh, any access to the gospel. And in some places around the world, it's devastating to think about it, but access to the gospel is shrinking because of other works, other religions, other false statements that people are living in, in environments like that. So the work before us is to be done. No one knows when Jesus says that this is going to reach all people. And I, and I want to make a real quick point on the side. For some of us, uh, I think we think as the internet increases, that it means that the gospel is going to be accessible to everyone. I just want you to push against that. I want to challenge you against that. Because I, I don't know about you, but my story of coming to Christ involves someone looking at me in the eye and sharing with me the gospel. Can people come to Christ through the internet? Of course they can. But you have to want it. You have to search for it. Or you have to be cleverly shown the truth of the gospel. And I'll just remind you, I think God's primary way he's going to continue to advance the gospel is like the video we watched earlier of a person who loves someone enough to tell their own story. So here we look at this, this image of the Lord saying that the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. We don't know if that means every human being will hear the gospel. We don't know if that's people groups and their own tribe, tongue, and language. Every missiologist in the world is trying to figure that out. We want to know, Lord, what's that mean for us to do? And people have different opinions on it. But I, what I can tell you is that this is our mission. And I can tell you that, that we, we closed last week on this, this, this idea of praying for the three billion people, that, that you and I have a message that's worth proclaiming. I love that, that scene in, in the movie Elf when he says, I, I, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Yes, I did just quote Elf in church, you yeah. know? But, but when he, I, I love that. That's the way I feel about the gospel. Is that how you feel about the gospel? That it's, it's worth declaring it to everybody. It's not something we're ashamed of. And here, what we get to do, this, this image is so good for me that we, we find ourselves just joining in this psalm, this, this picture of this man declaring this psalm, Lord, let the nations be glad. <laughs> Give them the hope that we have. Help them to understand the truth of the gospel. And I want to close together just praying that that for each one of us, that we would be people who understand what it means to give sacrificially, to engage in the mission that God's given us, to partner together and to see ourselves having the privilege of building a bridge that other people get to cross. And I'll tell you, that, that thing, that reality is the, part of the reason why I believe the Lord is waiting to return. I think it's part of our mission and it's a part of their mission. And what a privilege it is to get to be people who help others to declare praise to the Lord. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward now. And I'm just going to pray for each one of us. Lord, we love you. And, and I just thank you for this, this declaration that the psalmist penned so many years ago. Let the nations be glad. Lord, we pray for those who have yet to hear the gospel. We think of those who... We've been enlightened and that have lived in, uh, in a place like Japan who 
have wealth and abundance, many of which, not all, but many of which, and yet that their most desperate need is the truth of the gospel. We pray for them. Lord, we pray that they would move from darkness to light. We know the statistics in Japan of suicide. It's it's horrible. It's horrifying that people would be so discouraged that they would consider what it means to take and end their own lives. Lord, it's devastating. Would Would you allow Don and Hazel and others who are serving there faithfully to be ambassadors of hope? And I pray, like that video that we saw earlier, that this is not just uh, an international conviction, but that this is our mission here. And Lord, as we have the privilege to praise you, to pray and glorify your name right now as we sing praises to you, Lord, we pray that that would be the case for all nations, that they would know you like we do. We love you. Thank you for this morning. Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.